and welcome to the Old Man Orange Podcast. I'm Spencer Scott Holmes. And I'm Ryan Dunnigan, and today we have a special guest. Hi, what's up? Wesley Younger. And Wes, now I, I said this before, I was on his show for um, Via VHS, and we did the Air Force One retrospect on there, and then we were supposed to have Wes come on for Street Fighter II, the animated movie, and somehow, some way, I can't remember what it was, but like your video like froze halfway through for Street Fighter II, and you were never, <laughs> never able to finish it. Yeah, I don't know what was going on, but uh, it, it was divine intervention, I guess. The gods just didn't want me to Talk record Street, uh, Fighter. Street Fighter. Yeah, <laughs> I just for some reason, I guess I just wasn't qualified, I, I guess. And uh, so it just didn't happen. It didn't happen. But here here I am now, and uh, we've we got some good stuff to talk about today, so I'm excited. Just out of curiosity, what part did it freeze at? Do you remember? Uh, I remember there was Guile. Oh, gosh. Uh, I was decently... I was—I would say about halfway through. I'm trying to remember. Um, I don't know. I can't remember. He. I want to say it was the part where Guile was driving to go meet Chun Li. I almost want to yeah. say because I remember you sent me a screenshot where it froze at, and I was like, "Oh, that's the part right before I think Guile's going to either save Chun Li or when Guile and Chun Li are out in the street." It was one or the other. Mm-hmm. One of the last things I remember, but I've only seen it. That one time halfway through was they had a big street fight. Not a street fight. They were like in an mm-hmm. arena. I think that was early on though. <laughs> I don't know where I was. But either way, I, I would say I was about halfway through. And I remember epic lightning, <laughs> ridiculous fights, mm-hmm. um, awesome music, and then, uh, you know, it froze. That so. was it. <laughs> yeah. And those things well, sort of happened there. Yeah, exactly. But on this episode here, we're going to talk about the 1972, The Getaway, the good old classic Sam Peckinpah movie starring good old Steve McQueen. Great times. Carter McCoy. Great times. One to ten years sentence for armed robbery. First offense in the state of Texas. Wanted by the state of Ohio for assault with a deadly weapon and armed robbery. What ho! Get that brush pile here and get it rounded up. I want it tight for it to burn. Look out, McCoy. Get your action. Come on up here and catch in. Oh, man, that's just a game. <laughs> I don't game anymore. Okay. What did I tell you? It isn't that game? It's all a game. <laughs> I'm sorry I was late. I was having my hair done and the girl was slow. You look fine. Where do you want to go? Straight ahead! Five fours. 
life at Willie. I think he got to you. Maybe. At least I got to him. She told me no one would get killed. I'm in a hurry, Benyon. You still don't get the picture, do you? And I've always heard what a smart-ass operator you was. Yeah, this movie too is one of those ones like I kind of forgot like how good it was. I mean, I, I remember it being good, but I hadn't seen it for I don't know ten years, if not maybe a little bit more or something like that. And I've only seen it once, so this is my second time watching it. And it was, and there's especially all these like other little things I didn't kind of probably at the time I would have never put two and two together like who these people were. But when I saw it again, it's like, oh my god, this movie's like way bigger than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when I uh, first saw this movie. It was right when I was starting. It was like late high school. I was just starting to kind of get into more film, and I was really into Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. And I remember listening to audio commentary of um, From Dust Till Dawn, and that movie kind of inspired was inspired by The Getaway. So that made me want to fish this movie out. And there's even like nut references, like when they talk about we're going to El Rey. That's the fictional town they're going to in The Getaway that we never see, but that's in the book. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I could definitely see the the comparisons between those two movies for sure. I mean, it's definitely heavily influential on that. Well, and I always feel too like Sam Peckinpah, Martin Scorsese. It's like those are always like the proto Robert Rodriguez, Tarantino type movies, anyways. Mm-hmm. Dudes in suits, muscle cars, shotguns. That's very uh, Rodriguez and Tarantino. And you know what was the other thing I noticed right off the bat in this movie too is that Walter Hill wrote this. Who, you know, who's the guy who wrote, like, all kinds of great classics and directed a lot of movies, too, like 48 Hours, Bullet to the Head, The Warriors, Red Heat. He uh, produced, like, every single Alien movie and wrote Aliens. Mm. Um, and he also did that movie I told you about, Ryan, The Assignment, where it was the Michelle Rodriguez of a giant penis movie. <laughs> She has a big floppy prosthetic dick. You tell me about that. Yeah, it was just, it was so weird because I always saw Michelle Rodriguez being one of the hottest actresses and like, she's one of my favorite ones too. But then you just see her like stay in the shower, hairy chested, just wiener bigger than fucking Marky Marks and Boogie Nights. And you're like, oh God, this is, this is odd. This is what you make when you're 72 years old, still making movies. You just don't give a fuck no more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I made the, I wrote the getaway. What do you want? I can make whatever the fuck I want now. <laughs> Sounds like it sounds like 
Sounds like he did. That, that sounds pretty disturbing, actually. <laughs> it's actually a pretty good movie still. Well, we're not going to say it's pretty good. It's actually a good movie, but it's very just like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, the whole movie's about, like, Michelle Rodriguez is a man at first, and then she gets taken out somehow by this guy, and he pretty much gives him a sex change. Be like, yeah, this is going to really fuck you over now. Now you're a woman. How do you like that? You didn't pay me back, so this is what you get. And then it becomes like this revenge killer movie. So, I mean, it is cool, but it's just, it's an odd, it's an interesting one, too. Well, I guess you can only do so many movies about guys with guns and, you know, just assassins and bank robberies and whatnot. Eventually, after a while, it's like, you know what, fuck it. Let's make it, let's, same thing, it's a revenge movie, but it's a chick with a dick. Wait, what? You heard me, I didn't stutter. Well, the dick goes away. It's only in the beginning, technically. And, then, oh, it, and so. then, then it becomes a chick chick, but she's a chick with a dude's mind. So it's, um, it's, it's a weird, like, turn of events. Let's just say that. Chick with a dick is maybe what they should have named it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just a silhouette of a lady with just, like, like this. 70 years old, thumbs up in the corner of, like, the movie cover. <laughs> From the creator of The Getaway and Bullet to the Head. And Aliens. It's just like all these like, shit, there's some big movies on there, but for some reason, this is seeming like an interesting one. Aliens and Chick with a Dick. So. It's kind of, it kind of reminds it's me. passion project. Yeah, it reminds me of like uh, George Miller when you look at his filmography. It's like Mad Max, Mad Max 2, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, Happy Feet, Happy Feet 2, Mad Max Fury Road. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what, what were you doing? Yeah, like, there was a break there. <laughs> Yeah, like, he's only done, like, six movies, and they're either hard, hard R movies, or they're the happiest G-rated films you can imagine. <laughs> there's no yeah, there's in-between no, for him. No, there's no fucking around with George Miller. Like, you know, you're going really hard and really soft. There's no in-between. <laughs> I guess it's the same thing with Robert Rodriguez to that extent, because it's either, you know, like, something like From Dust Till Dawn or Desperado, or, like, the Spy Kids, Lava Girl, Shark, shark Boy bullshit. Oh, God. Yeah, or the shorts movie, or whatever the fuck that was. Whatever the fuck, yeah, Rainbow Rock, whatever <laughs> the fuck, yeah. Um, no, a fu- thing about this movie, I didn't realize how much... I mean, I knew McQueen was a big deal back in the 70s and uh, late 60s, but I had no idea he had as much power as he did, and he was the one that wanted this movie to get made, and they actually hired the, ri- the writer of the book, Jim Thompson, to do a... Uh, screenplay but the ending the third act is so dark and gets so almost kind of like david lynch's lynch like they said oh let's get walter hill hill in here to kind of like change it up a bit and they're originally gonna have someone else direct i don't remember who but then they landed on sam peckinpah and he's all like yeah sure why not it pays but even when he's just phoning it in it's still it's still it still comes out pretty awesome yeah exactly it's uh you know it's marlboro smoke and black coffee loose women you know domestic abuse uh. <laughs> <laughs> I like the part where uh, Steve McQueen's uh, like when he's hitting fucking uh, what's his name Ali uh, Mc- McGraw McGraw, McGraw, yeah. McGraw and it's like he, that wasn't written in there that he's supposed to just start slapping her around when he's pissed off but that was just, that was just the way the world was in 1972 it's just like <laughs> oh okay well if a, when a woman screws up you gotta slap her around a couple times beat some sense into her <laughs> and then well, tell her to keep driving <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, you screwed my boss. <laughs> I knew you were giving a weird look at the Christmas party. Yeah. Yeah. There was that whole... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it was weird watching... It, what kind of went through my mind was, okay, slapping a woman around, then I started thinking about 
Sean Connery and James Bond. And then I realized Steve McQueen looks a lot like uh, Daniel Craig, or Daniel Craig looks a lot like Steve McQueen. I was thinking when I was watching this, like, shit, he, he could have made it like a good Bond, you know? But, you know, they weren't hiring the blondes back then, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, they always said that Daniel Craig was like a modern Steve McQueen, so that kind of almost makes sense. Yeah, I can kind of see it. It is very fitting. It also... Um... I, I kind of see a little bit more of that dynamic because at first you're kind of watching this movie. You're kind of like, why is this girl with yeah. this guy? You know, she seems like she's new to it. She doesn't entirely know what's going on. Um, I didn't. I kind of went. I didn't re- get a chance to read the book or anything, but I kind of flipped through a synopsis of it and just was catching the big parts of it. Apparently, she was a librarian who fell for the bad boy, and now it's she's that she's in she's in along for the ride in the original book. And uh, I, that definitely kind of shows through the movie right here. Just the just the personality difference. Well, it's like in this one, it's just more like she's like the really good girlfriend. Really, she's like this person who like she never. I mean, she makes like one mistake in there, but realistically, she's like really a very helpful person throughout this whole thing. Other than fucking trusting that guy who came up and just said, "Oh, this is how you gotta do the old locker to put your bag in." Like, other than that little problem there, fucking Steve McQueen had to go fucking ride a train <laughs> for ten hours to go get that thing fucking back. Man. took forever yeah she really is ride or die i guess mm-hmm. you could say i mean she's like the epitome of that um it's this script w- when you're watching it it's almost like somebody said okay let's take a porn script take out the porn but make it kind of good <laughs> because it's like i mean the same things kind of happen okay like this guy is gonna bang this this woman in front of her husband and this you know this guy this girl's gonna screw the boss and then you know it's just like wow and so they just took a lot of porn out and just kind of you know put in a good script and it kind of worked out yeah that does kind of happen i thought of it that way that's a good point well it's got that quincy jones like score that fucking steve <laughs> mcqueen wanted too. Yeah. See, that was another big name drop in that movie. Like, oh, fuck, Quincy Jones did the music for? And then I read later, it's like, technically, um, fucking Sam Peckinpah wanted his normal composer, and then Steve McQueen's like, no, nope, don't want that. I want I want Quincy Jones. He'll put some jazz into that. <laughs> I want some elevator porn music. <laughs> and uh... Well, that's all they play whenever um, Sally Strutters and Al Vettiri <laughs> are on screen together. And that, that, whenever that happens, it's fucking awkward. Because there's a part she's like, I'll do whatever you want. No reason to go waving that gun around. It's like, all right, lose the, lose the bun. And he just grabs her bra. She's like, lose that shit too. And what the fuck is that? Like, just... like he's never seen one before. Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> just shakes it. Like, doesn't even know what to do with it. <laughs> they lock him up. Who locks him up? <laughs> what is this thing? <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been in prison for the last 15 years. It's all fucking new to me. This is the, that's like the part that's like the most like jacked up part. Is like Sally Struthers is like the worst wife for that fucking poor like animal doctor. Oh yeah, that guy just yeah. like he's just like there's my wife and she just went over to that guy like in seconds. Like there was no even struggle. She was just like instantaneously like oh look at this guy like I've been dating this animal doctor for years and then this guy comes with a gun fuck that I'm going this way and there's just parts where the guy's just fucking tied up in a hotel room the doctor's fucking in a chair taped to this chair and he's just gonna watch his like wife naked in bed with this guy who's just sitting there like fucking eating ribs and <laughs> watching TV <laughs> that would matter <laughs> Well, there's that whole part where he just starts throwing like they're, they're joking around they're just throwing like ribs and french fries at each other and they're just like haha it's funny it's funny and then like one rib accidentally hits his gunshot wound just, I don't fucking like this anymore he starts throwing <laughs> <I'm> harder 
it gets really awkward and tense. And whenever like uh, Alateri as Rudy is on the screen, I'm just like I'm really nervous. And I did not see the remake. Michael Madsen plays that character in the mm. remake. Mm. I know. That is perfect casting. See, I read that there was a remake in, like, 1994, and it has a uh, fucking... Once again, Walter Hill writes it again, which is kind of interesting. Oh. But then it also had fucking Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger as, like, Kim the stars Basinger. in it. Also had Philip Seymour Hoffman in there, too. Like, the movie said it didn't get the greatest reviews, but it was like, I was still very interested. I was like, fuck, I kind of want to do, like, a retrospect now on this remake, too. Compare and contrast. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I um, I was really I, what I do when I watch a movie like this, especially if I haven't seen it before, because I've never seen this before. Is and uh, I I try to figure out who people are in the movie before I go look at the IMDb and look things up. So I was the Sally Struthers thing completely lost me. It took me I didn't realize that till I started reading halfway through. I was like, who is this girl? I'm like, oh, the Sally Struthers. What the hell? What the hell happened? Other than you know, cake. But <laughs> di- but <laughs> but then I, it took me a while to realize that guy with the porn mustache was Salonzo from uh, uh, Godfather. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh yeah yeah it was. It's not real. Yeah, I was like, holy shit! And I, it took me a while to figure that out too. I'm like, he looks so familiar. Um, but yeah, it's weird to see these people, you know, in this in this movie that I recognize from other places, but I didn't know who they only were. Well, we probably should explain for anybody who's not seen The Getaway because it is one of those movies that not everybody has definitely seen this 1972 classic. But um, it's pretty much it's it's a heist movie, and it's just you know Steve McQueen he gets out of jail, he calls his woman and says, "Hey, it's finally time." So she has to go do this deed that she doesn't really want to do, but she loves Steve McQueen enough that she goes out of her way. To get him out, and then when he gets out, Steve McQueen has to repay getting out of jail by doing another heist or whatever the heck he did to get into jail in the first place. I can't remember if it explains that. I think but, uh, uh, it was armed robbery. Yeah, it was armed robbery. Okay, so then he has to do another heist. So him and these two other guys, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two other guys, and then the wife. They pretty much pull off this heist. And it goes mostly pretty well until one guy decides to shoot the fucking security guard. And then from there, that's when it kind of separates. And you got Steve McQueen, and then you got... um. What's the other guy's name? Ali. Uh, that's well. The character's name is Rudy. Yeah, Rudy. Rudy's the name of the character, but Al Latiri or something like that. And he's the guy who's pretty much just going to screw everybody over in the long run and, and such. But Steve McQueen kind of gets away, and then it just becomes this movie of them going back and forth trying to find each other, and then the guys who are waiting to get fucking paid from doing this mm-hmm. heist because it's the whole business thing, and it kind of comes together at the end. So that's kind of what it is. I mean, like, when I sort of explain it like that, it almost sounds like any heist movie that you've kind of seen nowadays, give or take. And you could say it's one of those movies that, like, yeah, that kind of maybe was, like, a big, like, start for a lot of these people that wanted to make heist movies later on. But it still has, like, a fresh feeling. It doesn't have, like... Like, I'll use an example of a movie like... um uh, Death Wish. That's one of those movies, like, if you watch that later in life after you've seen a bunch of other revenge films, mm-hmm. you could see where it's like, well, that doesn't really seem nearly as amazing as I thought it would be, but it's because you've seen so many other things build up from it. You get the history of it, and you understand it, but it's not the same as if you would have saw Death Wish when it first came out. I think that would have been a big, like, oh, whoa, what the fuck? You know, but later on, it's not nearly as impactful, where I feel like The Getaway, you could still watch after watching a bunch of heist movies, and it's still its own thing. Maybe it's just the time period, maybe it's just the characters and so on. It works. It, the time period works perfectly with it. It's it's like a two hour long like Johnny Cash song is what yeah. it was what that's it kind of felt like. Yeah, I mean, it, I really I really really enjoyed that, and I don't think um, that's why the um, the remake it just doesn't sound that appealing to me because I can't. I would imagine they still did it in a modern setting as opposed to doing it in nineteen sixty two because or seventy two because what's what's the fucking point in that? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, 
to me, it fits better in this time frame. It just, you know, black coffee and cigarettes and that kind of shit. It just, it works, you know? <laughs> yeah, it got that kind of cowboy feel to it the whole way through. I mean, it takes place in Texas and everything, too. Oh, yeah. Well, when I think of Sam Peckinpah, I mean, I know he's not the only one that does this, but like you, like you said, Wes, kind of like black coffee, cigarettes, guns, like muscle cars. That's what comes to mind. I know he because most of his work is primarily either um, something like this, like Bring Me the Head mm-hmm. of Alfredo Garcia, uh-huh. or The Getaway, or the traditional bunch. western like The Wild Bunch, mm-hmm. Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Yeah, Pat Garrett, Billy the Kid, but. And I know he's not the only one to do like a modern day western where it's something like I, I think but whenever I see something like Hell or High Water oh, or Faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know there's I know those are two really different movies. I can't help but get the sense of the getaway or something like that. Mm-hmm. No, and maybe the getaway is that movie that kind of gives. It could have been one of those like real early on, like, hey, here's a modern western. Because I can't really think of too many ones before. And not saying that there probably isn't something out there, but because that's what this movie is. I mean, this movie could be all on horses, and it'd be just the same. You know what I mean? It could totally work in that style too. Yeah. But and I love that modern western style. That's I think this is just not that many movies that do it. Maybe that's why I love it so much. I mean, I already love westerns as is, <laughs> but modern western too. It's just that cool like subgenre. That you just don't see that often, you know. You see it even the neo western. Yeah, well, even neo western. That makes me think of like something that's like 2049. It's a western. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the whole trilogy. Um, what is his name? I'm looking it up real quick. Oh, Taylor Sheridan, who wrote Hell or High Water and Sicario, and he just did uh, Wind River, which is is in a lot of ways a western too. It doesn't have the same aesthetic because it's like fucking cold the whole time. <laughs> it's like he's like, you know. <laughs> well, my buddy told me about when he told me he's like, dude, you gotta watch fucking Wind River. You gotta watch so Wind good. River. And then I watched so it, and because he, he was like, dude, it's a modern western. You're gonna love it. And I watched it, and I was like, well, it's more of a murder mystery movie, is what mm-hmm. it is. That happens to take place with Jeremy Renner as like a fishing game thing, which I thought that was really cool. But like, that's what it was. It was a murder mystery mo- movie first and foremost. And I looked, I'm like, there's a bunch of Native Americans. Is this why he's calling it a western? Because Jeremy <laughs> Renner's is wearing a cowboy hat, and there's Native Americans. <laughs> <laughs> that's there's a horse that went by <laughs> yeah it's it's got a lot of western elements in terms of the characters though you know but you're right though i mean in terms of, of aesthetically it's not at all really a western um except for the fact that there's you know indians and cowboys kind of but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's, it's still an interesting movie definitely and then um yeah hell or high water mm-hmm. was amazing and then sicario i actually just picked that one up because i'm like i gotta see that movie I, I just i somehow some way missed it in theaters and i was like i knew i'd like it but you, you know how that goes sometimes something else comes out the same day and then you just never get mm-hmm. around to the other one mm-hmm. i still have not seen that movie but it's on my list i hear nothing but good things about it hell or mm-hmm. high water is my favorite of his three but they're all really really good oh, it is God, so, that so movie's good. so good <laughs> That was a movie I just like, oh, let's check it out. I saw it was cheap and it was on, it was available for rent. I'm like, oh my God, this is one of my favorite movies of the year. I'm so sad I didn't see this in theaters. And I want to get that movie just because it's mm-hmm. just, we'll go back to Getaway in just a second. It's just not only, I know it's a really like a dark, serious movie, but just the small amount of humor they pepper throughout it, you know, just as a part, he's just like, mm-hmm. hey, this is Doc, hey, hey, I said, give me Dr. Pepper. It is. No, it's Mr. Pibb. Only assholes drink Mr. Pibb. Start drinking. <laughs> Oh yeah, there's just so much good stuff in that. But um, but the getaway is kind of like that too, because getaway has like that weird little dark comedy sprinkled throughout. Like one of the parts that just makes me laugh so much is the part where like it's with, it happens with the doctor and Randy or no, Rudy Harold Rudy Her- yeah, Harold, uh, Harold and then Sally Struthers. Doctor. 
And he's like, he goes to knock on the bathroom door. He's like, it's been 10 minutes. What's taking so fucking long? And he opens the door, and the doctor's just fucking hanging in there. And then he just sits down the toilet, pulls up the newspaper next to him, like, eh, whatever. Don't have to deal with his stupid ass anymore. <laughs> but it's just like that poor doctor guy. His life has been so shitty in the last, like, 48 hours. That <laughs> this is what it turned into. You know the you know the whole like story between like Harold and Fran. You know their whole thing is he was probably the most uh, you know put together guy in town. He was the nice guy. He's like, oh, if you marry me, you could be my uh, receptionist down at the local vet. It'll be a good, steady, easy paying job. You know, maybe once every three years we'll go on vacation. Maybe to even Hawaii. And then then like all of a sudden like. This guy comes in, presents her a little danger, and she's like, oh, wow, he's the bad boy. I'm so used to the nice guy. So that's where I, it's almost like a two dynamics of that, of, that, of that relationship. You have the Steve McQueen, Alan McGraw one, and then the, um, the Rudy one with, uh, with Fran, Sally Struthers. Rudy is a badass, but why, like, I just, first of all, he's like shirtless, you know, painting a little kitty, which I guess it was like symbolism there or something. I don't know. Hitting <laughs> <laughs> some pussy, yeah. Yeah. Here's a hit. The cat liked them. Yeah. The cat liked them. So foreshadowing for what's to come. Yeah, and it's just—it was just so weird. It was the whole thing was creepy and pervy, and it, but I guess it worked for him. I don't know. He's a great villain. I mean, he's even like there's a part where. He says like I don't need no no need for a bulletproof vest or whatever. He would never he would always yeah. call everyone brother in the middle of the job, but he could screw anyone over at any mm. moment. Ah, uh, just just very like the wild card of the bunch of everything in there. And yeah, it's just it, it's just so funny, just like because like the dynamic does go back and forth between like Steve McQueen and Ali technically have this like very good relationship. Yeah, there's like issues in it, but like if you really think about it, it's like they get along pretty darn well for the most part, other than like one little thing. And even with through like all the problems, they still stick together really well. Where then you got this other like one where clearly the the doctor and Sally Struthers was never a good relationship, apparently. Or like he probably thought it was. She probably was bored out of her mind. So the second this guy comes in, it just changes it all. And now it's just totally messed up. But like, the movie will almost interconnect like the editing of like both of their scenes back and forth to almost like that they kind of match, but like in a polar opposite way. Mm. Mm-hmm. I like Ali McGraw in this. No, yeah, she does a really good job in this one, too. And she's, she says herself that she didn't think her acting was that good, but I think that character is a very strong character for this kind of movie. You know what I mean? I mean, other than the only – she does one dumb thing, but that's okay. It's not like it's a irredeemable kind of dumb thing. It's just one of those things where it just made fucking Steve McQueen have to go fucking chase down a guy on a train. Yeah, I mean, she wasn't just there to unbutton her blouse and stuff. Like, she was, like, a real character. Like, and I, I really, I really enjoyed that aspect of the movie because especially back in these times i mean obviously you got steve mcqueen slapping her around so they're not trying to uh you know what's that rule where you have to have two like female characters have dialogue with each other uh the it's the 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 brechtel raw or brechtel something like that um something it's it's like you they have to have they have to talk to each other and it can't be about the main character and they uh, have to have names something to that effect the Brechtel yeah. test. Yeah, they, uh, two women have to have a 
Yeah, have to have a conversation, and the conversation can't be about a man. So this movie definitely doesn't pass that, but neither does any other movies in that era, really. But she, I mean, she's a pretty strong character, especially for that time, like you were saying. Well, yeah, she's doing most of the driving and everything like that. She's got, she's not just there as like a tag along character. Mm-hmm. That's that's why I feel like she is a pretty strong character because there's a lot of movies at that time period where mm-hmm. the woman's just the tag along. You know what I mean? Like it's almost like she doesn't really serve mm-hmm. a purpose to the story. She's just kind of there to be the female character. They probably screw up some things along the way. That's mostly what always kind of happens. But in this one, it's like, no, she actually helps out like quite a bit. You know, she does a lot of the work, and mm-hmm. that's what I think. Kind she of kills it. some people too. Yeah, exactly. So she kills people. Yeah. She does a lot of the driving, you know, and so on. And <laughs> I, I like that old guy at the end that kind of gets him to the border. He's just like Slim Pickens. Oh, fuck the police! <laughs> you know, yeah, Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens. Oh, that makes that makes a lot more sense now that Slim Pickens so gets happy. him like fuck the police. Oh, yeah. I don't give a shit. <laughs> he's he's just so he's just so happy. Just, he's in, he's involved in a car chase. It's the most action he's seen in the last sixty years. Exactly. <laughs> Except for, the, except for that time he wrote the nuclear bomb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Other than that. See, this this one, for this seems weird to anybody else, but Slim Pickens literally lived in, like, the same town me and Ryan kind of lived in. Oh, really? He, lived in, he, had, he had a ranch out in Columbia until he, you know, for, like, the last 15 years of his life or whatnot, and he was, like, total, like, citizen of Columbia, like, the place that my mom used to work at a long time ago. He would always come into that restaurant and so on, so... He was a big part for a while of like the late 70s, early 80s of that time period. So that's always kind of an interesting thing with Slim Pickens. Oh, Slim Pickens. What a great name. What a great know, name. It's just like the best. Yeah. And the cool thing about his life is he's like one of those kind of guys. He just started off as like, oh, I'm just a rodeo guy. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, you want to try movies? Oh, well, sure. Why not? I'll give it a go. And then like I think he even played with like Willie Nelson and like he just did some like country gigs and so on. Like So he just kind of had this life where he just – floated around with other people and just had like everything was great i mean he died of a brain tumor i think when he was only like 66 but other than that though it was all good well everybody in this movie though kind of well steve mcqueen sam peckinpah actually sam peckinpah died on my birthday like my literal birthday like the same day i was born yeah december 28 84 he was so i was looking at his imdb i'm like I'm, there's something special about him other than this movie. I'm like, I was trying to remember what it was, and I saw it was the day he died. I'm like, oh crap! So like the day I was born, he was he was uh, kicking it. But um, so for you to live, Sam Peckinpah had to die. That was pretty much what happened. He like passed yeah. over. Yeah, <laughs> like one of those it's, reincarnation, was, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit! I am Sam Peckinpah. Well, I felt this connection through all his work. I, I knew there was something. Why. I knew there was something. Can you just say that you have? Like when you market this episode, you have Sam Peckinpah's reincarnated self as a guest. <laughs> have you ever gotten to argue with someone and pissed on a camera? Not that I remember, <laughs> but probably. <laughs> okay, well, if you do that, then I think you're pretty much you got nailed in. Then, like, oh yeah, definitely, he's definitely the reincarnation. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm Sam Pe- Peckinpah reincarnated. But uh, no, seriously though, everybody like uh, Steve McQueen was fifty. Uh, the guy uh, Al, Al Lettieri, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say his name is that. He died like three years later he, when he was forty seven. So everybody and then Sam Peckinpah died when he was fifty nine. So nobody well, that, was at, at that, that time long, period, really. male actors and, and anybody kind of you know even just male filmmakers and so on, they just did not live very long. It was just how it was. Like if you hit 50, you you went a mm-hmm. long time as a fucking actor or somebody in Hollywood. They just didn't make it. And I think probably it's due to like extreme amount of like alcohol. I mean, hell, Sam Packenbaugh said he didn't he didn't direct well unless he was like hammered. 
Yeah. This movie even made him start drinking more. Because I think that this is just something he wanted to do. I don't remember if this is before or after the Wild Bunch. But it's after Wild after- Bunch, because I want to say Wild Bunch is like 69 or 70. Okay, I think this is just him kind of taking a break. Like, yeah, I'll just cruise mm-hmm. through this. Uh, I'll work with McLean. Why not? It's a, it'll be a commercial success, and I can work on the next thing. I mean, at the time, the movie wasn't received well, but in retrospect, it was kind of like Blade Runner. It got a lot of attention and praise as years went on. Mm-hmm. Well, I think... It's kind of pretty... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I also, because it was like, it was one of these PG movies, but it's like, you watch this movie, and you're like, there's no fucking way that it's like, who the hell gave this a PG? That's like the most, like, lenient group. <laughs> and then in hindsight, they're like, yeah, that probably should have been an R, because I mean, it, it's bloody, there's a lot of violence in it. I mean, there's no length, it's almost like one of those movies where it's like borderline being on an R. Like, you could kind of see how it j- did just get a PG, because, you know, there's no PG-13 at the time. But at the same time, like, if they would have called it R, you, you would have never even, you'd be like, yeah, that seems about right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty much. There's this kind of weird thing, and oh yeah, PG used to be the old PG thirteen. So wow. But well, I also think the blood in the movie—it's that very vi- bright, vibrant taxi driver blood. The mm-hmm. way how we got away, making that movie R instead of like NC seventeen or whatever it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, and I think also like that kind of blood. I think it was a couple things. Like the reason why it has that weird color is just due to the coloring of like the film. You know, I think that's kind of how it is when you do your color correction for the film process. That's what gives it sort of that weird, like, almost, like, paint-like color. And I actually kind of like that 70s, like, blood. Like, that, to me, when I see that, it makes me happy. <laughs> There's some people that get all weird and picky about their blood color. Like, that's not real. I'm like, dude, that's 70s blood right there. That's what you bled when you are in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> Straight ketchup. I was just thinking, when I was watching it, they used the same ketchup for his eggs they did for the blood in <laughs> the rest of the film. <laughs> I think it's maybe maybe that blood's all like because everyone's just eating like red meat and drinking whiskey all the time. Yeah. That's all it was. Yeah, you're still kind of like a leftover of like the fifties diet. Yeah. Oh yeah, my god. Smoke, it cutting cigarettes up for your vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> it's got greens in there. Got tobacco and vegetable. <laughs> Came out of the ground. It's good for you. <laughs> Jeez. Oh lord. You know what's another interesting thing about this movie is this movie was shot almost the entire way through in sequence, which is almost like something that almost nobody does in movies except for like in the early days when you didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. Um, it definitely does have a little bit more of a because it does the it does like move at a really smooth pace, and if a movie is shot in sequence, I think that kind of shows through a bit more. Uh huh. And there's something I think there is always something to be said about a movie that's shot in sequence is I feel as far as, like, the acting goes and everything like that, you almost feel, like, the, the part that you're at a little bit more instead of being like, okay, now you're in prison. Okay, now you're at the very end of the movie and you're just getting away. Now you're back to this fight scene here, and it's almost like you gotta, like, change your emotions around. Where in this one, you can almost, if you shoot in sequence, which is not always the most practical, obviously, but it does make for a very, like, you know, like, as a character, you're almost going through it, like, naturally. Regarding that, what was the, uh, what's the name of, um... This is going to come back around in a second. What's the name of the guy who played uh, Magneto and Gandalf? Oh, um... Ian... Ian McKellen? Uh, Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen. Jeez. There, there was an interview he gave where... Because he, he said, like, you know, we, we shot all those Rings movies all at the same time. So my first day of shooting, I was uh, saying hi to The Hobbit for the first time. Second day of shooting... They're on a boat, never be seen again. So when you see me with this dumbstruck, confused face, you know why. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, so there is something to be said. You probably can almost, like, if you can spend the money to shoot a movie in sequence and not have to worry about that, you could probably, like, get maybe a little bit better acting out of it. You know, you never know, but... They do that for kids a lot. Like, when you have, like, a movie with a bunch of kids in it, they usually shoot it in sequence, so the kids kind of know what the hell's going on, and they're not as confused. I I like that they do that. It's definitely better for the actors. It's got to be. Oh, yeah, much better. I mean, I understand, like, why it's like, hey, we got this set... And this set comes back three times in the movie, so we're going to get all three scenes in here right now in these three days we have. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, I get it. It's like, as a practical-wise, I get it. But for like, especially when you're doing movies like this where you're kind of traveling, that's almost like perfect. We can shoot it just like this. You know what I mean? Everything's kind of can be separate from each other. Uh, did you guys by chance look into – because this movie ends pretty early on from where the book continues. Uh, did you guys look into what – happens when they get to El Rey. No. Now, I know that it's different because it, Steve McQueen didn't want... He wanted a happy ending because it sounds like Steve McQueen was sort of a dick on this movie. Not like totally, but like he's like, I get final cut, I get more pay, blah, 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 blah. Because like he was the one who edited it and even Sam Peckinpah said he's like, Steve McQueen just chose all his like Playboy moments. He didn't go for like the rough and gritty, like probably better acting scenes. He mm-hmm. probably just went with the ones that made him look better, you know. Mm-hmm. So it'd be almost interesting to see somebody kind of put this back together in a little bit slightly different way, just to kind of just re-edit it for mm-hmm. no reason at all, just to see like what it would look like. But mm-hmm. that was almost the reason why, like, because it feels like it should probably have one of those more darker endings. Like when I was rewatching again, I'm like, does this movie have? I, I couldn't really remember what the ending was. And they do just have the, they give, you know, fucking Slim Pickens 20,000 bucks for his old truck. He's all happy, hops on back to, you know, America. And then they just drive on off into the sunset. And I even, like, went through with all the credits. I'm like, does it actually have anything afterwards or something, like, weird? Like, because mm-hmm. it just feels weird to actually for this type of movie to have that kind of almost optimistic oh. ending where it's like, shit, they got away with it. It all worked out. You know, it wasn't Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It wasn't like, you know, a lot of Westerns are at that time period where things just started to get dark. It wasn't a Martin Scorsese movie. It was this kind of like, oh, fuck, everything, everything's all fine and dandy. The book, it, apparently the book almost went into like this David Lynch-esque level. And the, originally when you're trying to make the movie, they were pitching it more as a thriller and more as kind of Alfred Hitchcocky. And the original book took place in the 50s. And they're like, well, let's make it in the 70s. And you know what? Sam Peckinpah is suggesting we make it more of a genre action film more than a thriller. And when they get to the town, they realize, okay, so it's this town. You have to pay to get in. You can never leave. And it's ran by El Rey, who is this, you know, big uh, the king. Mexican crime lord guy, the king. And the thing about that, though, is every, you know, every, everything there, since it's a very lavish lifestyle everything there is really expensive and it's not overly priced expensive but it's like you know you have to spend x amount of money each to each year you're there otherwise you get booted out into the uh into the this other zone of it and they realize that oh shit um we're gonna run out of money eventually because that's what happens to everybody there they eventually run out of money and they go to this other zone this other other zone by this point is ran by gangs of cannibals Oh, <laughs> and they and they realize, oh shit, they're freaking out. They're, tra- they're so they're going around this town trying to figure out how the fuck they're going to get out of here, what they're going to do next, and they realize they can't. So the Steve McQueen character uh, McCoy goes up to this doctor, and he's trying to. He's almost thinking, well, maybe if I can make this money last, I can live here a bit longer, and I don't have to split it between me and my wife. So he goes to this doctor. He's like, she has something wrong with her. Can I maybe talk you into possibly 
giving her this surgery and then killing her? He says, yeah, I would do that. Only um, you killed Rudy. And Rudy was one of my best friends. And also, your wife tried to pull the same shit on you. And then there, this is all happening while some festival's going on. And they're talking. And they realize, you know what? One day we're going to run out of money. And we're going to end up in that cannibal zone. Let's agree to tough this out as long as we can. And the day we go into that, we'll try to survive. And if it gets too much, we'll just kill ourselves. Holy shit. All right. That would be a good sequel. ends. That's like a complete, like, that's like, yeah, that's almost like a sequel in itself. It's almost like such a big part that's like, that's, I was almost going to say, oh, that's like a four fact of the movie that's missing, but that's more, I mean, you could tell that in a half an hour, but boy, as I that could be a total movie. That could be the getaway part too. Yeah. Do you think the Alec Baldwin one goes into that? I'm pretty sure it doesn't, but that'd be so cool if it did. (laughs) Well, uh, one reason why I kind of looked into this movie, as I said earlier, um, I I really like From Dust Till Dawn. I was listening to the audio commentary, and they make m- multiple references to that. And Quentin Tarantino said in the uh, remake, he says, I was excited when the remake was coming out because we're going to finally get to see what El Rey looks like, or who El Rey is, and see his town. And then we mm. don't see it. And he was a little frustrated. And he says, we don't see it in this either. But to bring it back around to that, uh, how they kind of try make all their stuff in the same universe, at least some of the Robert Rodriguez stuff, the main... The, 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 Name of the main character of Planet Terror is El Rey. Mm-hmm. And they say, so that's who you really are, and that's meant to take place in the same world. So oh. I thought it was kind of interesting. Like, okay, so he's El Rey. <laughs> so they start, they, they bring it around sort of that way. Well, that, that's cool. Because that, that almost, mm-hmm. in a sense, that when you, it's like that, that right there sounds kind of like From Dust Till Dawn, though. You know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. that sounds, I mean, it's, From Dust Till Dawn is definitely its own thing, but it, you could totally see where that idea kind of spawned and definitely comes into play. And that almost see that's the perfect example. Is like I think someone should make a fucking sequel to the Steve McQueen one, like literally be it, obviously and have it take place in 1973 or whatever. I like that. It's a period piece. Get fucking Daniel Craig yeah. to play Steve McQueen, and we'll just like we'll just re we'll actually make the sequel because that would be so cool to see that like part of it. Because and I mean yeah, I, I get the budget wise. That makes sense for the 70s one. I mean even for uh, Rudy. Originally, Sam Peckinpah wanted Jack Palance to be fucking playing Rudy in there, and he couldn't afford his budget, so that's why he didn't have him. And that's the guy yeah. I always think of him from, like, City Slickers. <laughs> he plays Curly. Oh, yeah, that dude. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, that guy. So that's the one he wanted. And he's in Batman, right? Yeah, he's like, you're my number one guy, Jack. That guy. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so, but yeah, that sequel almost sounds so cool. And that's how I think it should be done. It should be done as a sequel. It doesn't need to be done as a remake. We already saw the first part. Let's get the second part in there. It's like Godfather Part 2. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know that you're not a big fan of when they take a shorter story and expand it into like one long series, but I can actually see like an HBO or Showtime miniseries of them taking maybe the parts they didn't put in the, from parts that from the book then make it into a movie, making it one, like, I don't know, like a, Six to twelve part miniseries. Each episode's an hour <laughs> long, maybe or something like that. That would be kind of cool, but that's probably too long. That's probably like that. Then you'll then you'll probably get like the story won't be nearly as good because they'll have to expand it for no reason. I think it'd be best as just a solid mm-hmm. like hour and a half to two hour long sequel. That would that would be what you would need because you don't want to kind of ruin the story by like expanding it out for no reason. Even if you put them together, like yeah. the getaway is like one long piece. I still think that'd be way too long. 
Most most things suffer from a miniseries almost, unless it's really short. Unless if it was like three episodes, fine, like old school miniseries, I think it'd be great. But if it's gonna be like a ten, that that's um, that, maybe it's a six part. I think a six part you could probably get it done because I mean there there's there's stuff in the book they they left out of the movie. So oh yeah, I, I mean I'm not saying there's not like that, but sometimes like in books, lots of times you do get a lot of excess stuff. That's there's kind of a reason why <laughs> it's taken out. You're like, well yeah, it's just it's there just to. Because authors don't have to, like, edit their own work, technically. You know what I mean? It's like, mm. it's not like they're ever going to run out of budget. Like, oh, you know, you, you got 100 extra words there. That's going to cost. It's like, whatever. You just put 100 extra words in there because you can. You know, there's no re- rhyme or reason to it other than your own storytelling. But, um, but no, I would love to still see, like, so- something done with that. Because that's almost too cool of an idea just to kind of leave mm-hmm. it hanging. And, yeah, because I can see how that – you can see that that right there. It's too – that's, like – yeah, as I said, it's a movie in itself to have that extra piece. But that would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. This is bleak as fuck, too. <laughs> I, I like that, though. Because as I said, like this movie feels, for a 1972 movie, in the time period where like movies are mostly like really dark, darker than any other time period and probably movie making, mm-hmm. it's odd this one has such a happy ending. It did, it did feel, um, not, not abrupt, but like there was, it, it had this looming feeling of more. And without knowing what that was, that makes complete sense. I was looking to see if the books, if the book itself had another installment, but I don't believe it does. But it would have been awesome if it did, because then you could start maybe considering like a miniseries or, or a series of movies. That would be awesome. But I think it's just a kind of a one-off, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds interesting. Well, even the, that almost sounds cool, not just to read the book in general. That oh. sounds like one of those ones. This is also another thing. I wonder if anybody's ever done a comic of that. Because sometimes comic books will come out of, like, old novels, and they'll just expand up, and they'll just do it like that. So I could see that almost, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely I could see that. Well, plus it almost sounds like that would just be this really str- – I mean, I'm wondering if you ever actually see the Cannibal Town or they just peek by and they see a crowd of people chasing one person. Like it's 28 days later or some shit like that. But it's one of those things where – I mean I still like this movie a lot, but it almost seems like an entirely different movie to me now knowing the part <laughs> they took out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I don't think those cannibals are like zombies. I think they're just probably like no. – I think they're just people, they're pe- that, people that just eat people. Book of Eli. Well, the people that eat people. Like the, the, the people in yeah. Book of Eli who had the house and they guess they stop yeah. there and they're like, oh, shit, why are they shaking and like trying to give me that? You want some meat there, Sonny? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then like, don't eat that shit. <laughs> Let me see your hands. <laughs> Shit, I'm blind and I can see that. <laughs> but um, but no, the getaway in itself, just as is, is still an amazing it movie, is. and so on. And I think it's one of Sam Peckinpah's best works too. Like you know, I probably you know, it's easy to go to Wild Bunch. Wild Bunch is like the definitive classic. But boy, the getaway is something. I almost will say this. I think it's almost maybe be Steve McQueen's best movie. Like it's that good. I feel that way about it. I mean, I like Bullet, but, I mean, aside from the car chases, I don't remember a whole lot about Bullet. Same. I remember a whole lot about this movie, though. Yeah, this one definitely – I will say that, too. Like, Bullet is a movie – I think I think Bullet was one of those movies. Like, if you would have watched Bullet in the 60s, that would have been, like, your action movie. Mm-hmm. And though it is still really good, it, yeah, I don't feel like it stands out to me as much. It's even – I'll even say, like, The Great Escape or even um, this movie, The Getaway and so on, like – even though when I was watching it, I'm like, dude, you know what? Be a great retrospect to do is Bullet. <laughs> I started yeah. thinking that too, right when I was watching it. I'm like, that would be fun, but um, 
but yeah, no, this movie's just overall good. And plus, I just I love seeing Sally Struthers in it, and I love the part where Steve McQueen punches her in the face. I laugh so hard when I see that. <laughs> For fifty cents a day, shut up. Ow. Bam. You know. Where's your story with the fringe now? Oh. <laughs> uh. And I love how, like, that hotel they go to just has, like, the guy who's just like, Oh, come on! Uh, where you kids staying? No women in the room now, but we'll take you up. Oh, you got the... Let me see. I'll grab that box of pussy there. Where do you want me to put the pussy at? <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, you need anything. You, you need some sandwiches? I'll get you some sandwiches. <laughs> well, I, I like how they're so, like, calm and they're so, like... Oh, we're finally away. Let's relax. Let's take a shower. Let's fuck for a minute. Wait a minute. What the fuck? No, 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 no. This is too easy. That motherfucker always has his kid and his wife here. Why aren't they here? We gotta get the fuck out. Like, you just remember he's this? A, yeah, he's I a just never remember this. He needs them to be here so he doesn't get back on the juice. <laughs> <laughs> that part right there is like the best part of the movie, though. That shootout, like, in the hotel. Mm. That's like the that's like the part that always stands out to me when I think of that movie. I think of that scene, and it's like that part's really cool. Ooh. I like I like where uh, Steve McQueen goes ham on the cop car though, and he's just that's a just so parts, yeah. just so badass, just walking out there in the all black and bow bow, and just like the cops are laying there looking at him. Yeah, he's like, yeah, bitch. That was it. <laughs> what are you gonna do now? In the fucking gutter. <laughs> Well, I just like how like nonchalant he is about it. He just walks in like shotgun, pump action, twelve rounds now. I'm like oh, okay, just wraps it up and then just goes around <laughs> the corner and he just just how because like you know, I I can't think of a whole lot of movies up to that point that have done a scene like that where he just goes in, buys a gun, like okay, gotta use for it now. Boom, goes it. It's, it's, it was easier for him to buy that gun than anything at GameStop. Yeah, it was. Like no pre-orders. <laughs> Yeah, he's just going there like I want a gun. Thanks. He's like now you go to GameStop. It's like they hassle you around. Like I just want a fucking video game. Shit, he was putting work. shotgun shells in his pocket before he even filled out that paper. <laughs> well, it, was, it was Texas, well, so the, the Texas. it was Texas. So the guy's yeah. like, all right, whatever. It's Tuesday. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. God, buying that radio was more difficult than it was to get the gun. <laughs> Oh man! And I just love it. It's almost just remind me like Terminator. It's where he's like, "Hey, you can't do that." Wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised they go in there and say like when he's asking for a gun, he's like plasma rifle. Hey, everything is just on the shelf, man. (laughs) (laughs) What if that movie just had just weird scenes? Just like all of a sudden he goes in that store and grabs a fucking plasma rifle. You're like, out of everything in this movie, this fucking just it's so odd. Like I, it, I, I see nothing how this connects. But if Steve McLean came out with a fucking plasma rifle and started shooting the police car, I'd be like, yeah, sure, go for I'm, it. Why not? I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Nobody says anything about it. No one makes a thing about it. it just happens. He says he came in with a plasma rifle. He did. Oh, that's odd. Okay. <laughs> if there is some, and just later on, he has a jetpack all of a sudden. What? <laughs> <laughs> just like this, er- just in. so futuristic for Steve McQueen, but everything else is modern Western. Yeah. <laughs> just to add to that, just right when that the gang of all those gangsters who have the, uh, they're all in suits, cowboy hats, and sunglasses, there's just the one robot in the group that no one ever addresses. <laughs> and he's got a cowboy hat and sunglasses on, too. <laughs> just looks like something out of Wild Guns. Sa- Sam, yeah. he, this robot, why is there a robot now? Why is he steampunk? It's a steampunk robot. It works. Okay. <laughs> it's whatever. I got a vision. Shut the fuck up and film. Okay, Sam. Okay. You put in the robot, but you took out the camera. What the fuck? 
I, I love how, like, Steve McQueen had an argument with, like, Sam Peckinpah, and it this got to the point where Steve McQueen just picked up a bottle and chucked it at fucking Sam Peckinpah's head, and he ducked out of the way, and they just both <laughs> laughed. That That's, like, a usual thing with Peckinpah. I know I've said this before on the show, but when they're doing that Charleston Heston movie, I think it was called Zula or something like that, mm-hmm. when they were shooting that movie... Uh, Peckinpah said like after because he he and like Heston just hated each other. He says, "This is what I think of your fucking performance." Whips his dick out, pisses on a camera, and then Heston grabs a spear, chucks it at him, and like ever since that moment, we had each other's <laughs> respect. Like, <laughs> like you don't get those kind of stories anymore. But like that would happen nearly on every Peckinpah movie, and people like hate Peckinpah, and they come back around like, you know what? This is just who he is, and he's good at what he does. So whatever. <laughs> I know the last time I can really think of that is just that George Clooney story on uh, Three Kings where, uh, what's his name, punched George Clooney in the face. Uh, David O. Russell? Yeah, David O. Russell. No way. <laughs> yeah, apparently David O. Russell just fucking hated George Clooney. And it was almost like the studio was like, well, get him. ER does good. The kids know who he is. Put George Clooney's like, fuck that pretty boy actor. I don't want his shit in my head. He has, he's a terrible actor. Nobody can act. You know, he's, he's just horrible at what he does. He's stiff. Blah, blah, blah. I don't want him. So the whole time they're just pissy. And David L. Russell sounds like the most, even though I love his movies, he sounds like, a, or at least at that time. And this is like early on. So this is like, he's barely made anything and he's already shitty to like everybody on set. And George Clooney's like being the nice guy to all like the people, like the crew and the actors and, you know, the extras. George Clooney's got their back so of course this is now david o russell's enemy <laughs> he's like spartacus for like the crew practically <laughs> the rise that may, that explains why there's such a gap because it was like david o. russell did some shit and then he didn't do some shit and then all of a sudden he comes out with like three or four great movies in a row mm-hmm. that explains See, a he's a good he's a good director but i just kind of i'm not too sure if he got over that over time or what but yeah well there's even this picture i have this book called rebels in the back lot and i let spencer borrow it and there's a picture in the book, where you're flipping through, and it, it breaks down a couple different movies and movies that and directors that changed things back in the 90s. And the examples they use is Spike Jones, Wes Anderson, David O. Russell, uh, Robert Rodriguez, and... Tarantino. Uh, Tarantino, and I believe there's a sixth one in there that I'm forgetting. Well, there's like some and, mini ones, because that's where I got that story was from that book. But there's some mini ones in there, too. Like, mm-hmm. there's a little section on the Wachowski brothers. There's a little section mm-hmm. on Kevin Smith. But it's like, yeah, it follows like five or six main directors, and then it has little ones along the way, too. But, uh, oh, no, Paul Thomas Anderson. That's the other one. That's right, Paul Thomas Anderson. But there's a, there's a picture where in, the, in the David O. Russell section where you see Ice Cube and uh, George Clooney, David O. Russell, and I think maybe someone else all take Spike a picture Jones. together. Spike Jones, that's right. And um, David O. Russell is like, like, everyone's all smiling, but you see George Clooney has kind of like an awkward, like, eh, okay. And David O. Russell's just chugging like a bottle of booze. <laughs> <laughs> Ice Cube's just, just happy get... to be here, you know what I mean? Like, shit, I'm in the movies. And then just George Clooney's just like, fuck that guy across the way. I think Ice Cube's between them. <laughs> He's like, you be, you be the in-between. You, you hold us back here. <laughs> It really was like a, a resurgence because, uh, you know, in the, the late 60s, early 70s, you kind of have the American zoetrope thing, and you have Scorsese and Lucas and Spielberg and, uh, oh, God, what is it? I can't remember the other guy's name all Coppola? Of a sudden, but, um, yeah. Coppola. Coppola was there, but the other one, I can't uh, remember his uh, name all of a sudden. Paula? Uh, Paula? 
Yeah, the Palma, Brian the Palma. Uh, you know, they were all hanging out, and best friends, and some of them were troublemakers, some of them were. And then, you know, you kind of they kind of ruled things through the seventies and eighties, and then you get to the nineties, you kind of have that other resurgence in the Kevin Smiths and things like that. So they were kind of some hard asses, I guess. Now that I think about it. Well, that's what I mean, because like, there's just different periods of movies. Like in the 70s, like that late 60s, 70s, with all those directors right there, that's the time period where I just feel like there was ultimate freedom. You could literally make any movie you wanted. Like there was no restrictions at that time period. You just did whatever the fuck you wanted, and it just all worked out. And that's why you get such great movies, and that's why you even get ballsy movies from the 70s. That Nowadays, it's like you, there's some movies in the 70s, like there's no way they could even make a movie that hardcore like they did at that time period. Yeah, I'll- I just watched The Exorcist the other day. I'm like, how the f- there's no way. Yeah, exactly. There's no way that film gets made. No, no you can't make stuff like that nowadays. Or even like I look at another movie like um, uh, Last House on the Left. Mm-hmm. That one is so hardcore, that 70s one. And it's just brutal. And they make the villains are straight up villains. They have no like, oh, well, they were. I, I understand why they were doing it. It's like, no, they're just pure evil all the way through. And that's just stuff that you just really can't have. I just feel like nowadays as much. There's almost like that's too much. Maybe, you know, probably a straight to DVD mm-hmm. movie could get away with it, but not something in theaters. Let's just say that. Give me 30 seconds, guys. I feel mm-hmm. like somebody's knocking at my door. Give me one second. I'm sorry. Okay. No worries. We'll just keep talking about 70s movies and the getaway and all the greatness yeah. of this. But um, I actually heard, I don't, I don't know if this is true, I actually heard an exorcist uh, that they. Um, it was two different actors between uh, Reagan and possessed Reagan. Huh. And Ronald Reagan. <laughs> he was in there. Yeah. <laughs> he just plays one of them. It's like he was the spirit. The <laughs> spirit. Of- Ronald Reagan wanted to come back for a role just, you know, in the 70s. Why not? But, um, but yeah, no, the 70s just hold. That's one of my favorite time periods of movies. Like, mm-hmm. like the pockets of time. Like, I mean, I like, I like all. It doesn't really matter what decade it is. I like all movies that start back from the early 1900s. But really, I like some of my favorites is I love the 30s because that was a really ballsy time period where people could do whatever they want. And then the 70s is fantastic for that. And that's also what makes the 90s such a good time period, too. It's just. There's just so much stuff, you know, like in those periods that like kind of almost like changes. And it's like I'll say it's like the in-between decades, like the 80s. Like, don't get me wrong. I love the 80s, too. That has so many good things, too. But I think what happened is movies just started to get bigger and bigger studios, bigger and bigger budgets. People were making money. And all these kind of people started going from being these rebel directors to being kind of more like, oh, now we're part of the system. So that's where you get the break into the 90s where you want change. And, you know, it kind of goes through waves and so on. I mean, you look at like the 2000s. The 2000s always remind me of very like – Hey, let's take that '90s style, but we'll just do it in big budget, and we'll, you know, we'll 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 do it our way, you know. And then that kind of went, and that petered out too in its own way because you can only do that for so long. Uh, here's kind of a question here. Uh, I know that say they do attempt to make this movie a third time, just hypothetically speaking. Uh huh. Do you think they would try and go dirty and gritty uh, out in the desert, all that kind of stuff, and have some harsh violence? Or do you think they're gonna go fast and furious with it, and not not like to the level of like we gotta outrun this giant fucking wrecking ball with a fucking with a fucking like lifted like Mercedes as a fucking flamethrower, nothing <laughs> like to that effect. But I mean something that's a little bit more cleaner and stylish, and a little bit more flashier. Yeah, yeah, I think it depends on the director. Like if you if you get like a director behind it that the director's name could also sell it, then you can kind of do whatever you want with it, and it'll probably be more authentic. But if you get like um, I don't know Colin Trevorrow or something, I'm just throwing out a name. Like you know 
studio guy, then it's probably going to be like Fast and Furious. But if you get like a, a Tarantino behind it or somebody who's, you know, kind of more of an up and coming guy that cinephiles appreciate, then I think it would be probably closer to this. You know, mm-hmm. and this is one of those kind of movies that if there was a third remake of it, I see no, th- that's totally fine because there's enough space yeah. between the movies. And I think since there is that like backing story that's never been told, mm-hmm. I think that would be it. You know who, you know who needs to take the hold of this that I think could do it well would be Eli Roth. Mm. Have have Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez produce it, and have Eli Roth write and direct it. I think he would understand this because he's like to me. I always feel like Eli Roth's the guy. He's just like Tarantino. He just hasn't got enough like movies out there yet to kind of be it. But like he has that film love like more than almost anybody else. When he sits down and talks about movies, he knows movies inside and out. So I feel if there's somebody who's going to do it right, I think Eli Roth would be the choice. Mm. I'm down with that. He. Th- the downfall is Eli Roth doesn't have the strongest name to really back a movie. That's where I feel that it, make Quentin Tarantino the producer, and you're good. You're golden. Yeah, I mean, I could see Tarantino because he said he has ten movies in him, and once he does, if he does this Charles Manson movie, and then Star Trek, if he does that, um, then he's probably just gonna. I, I see him just producing a lot of stuff, and I can see him trying to get more Eli Roth stuff off the ground because I know they're bros. Mm-hmm. I think. Um... I think you're going to get one more out of Tarantino, and what's, the reason I'm bringing that up is because when I watched this, what this reminded me of when Tarantino a while back, the movie he was going to film instead of um, the Manson movie or Star Trek, the movie that everybody was floating around as his next thing was that Australian gangster mm-hmm. movie. And it was, and when you listen to the premise of it, now it was set in the 30s though, so it wasn't set in the 70s, but it was a 1930s Australian gangster. But it sounded similar to this, and I have a feeling that. It, took some inspiration from this film for sure which mm-hmm. i still want to see that version i saw one of 30s australian gangster movies that was pretty badass yeah you don't get enough australian he, movies that's for sure no definitely he, not he he does seem to be stretching like uh, a muscle he didn't use for the first half of his career because for a while it was all just usually los angeles gangsters guys in suits and then you know he did pulp, then he did um uh, Kill Bill, which was more fantasy, not not literally fantasy, but more um, stylized kung fu movie, with kind of western. And now he's just doing all these Tarantino esque historical movies. So mm-hmm. I would be curious to know what Australia looks like through in the nineteen thirties through to Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, that would be really 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 awesome. No, um, that would be cool. Um, what, who directed? Uh, hold on, um, Edgar Wright. Did Baby Driver. Oh, he'd be good. He would be good. Yeah, I bet he would love this. I bet he probably likes this movie. I could see this movie slightly in- inspiring uh, Baby Driver. A little bit, yeah, definitely. Well, because he really likes car movies, too. So he would be – and that would be kind of a nice one for him, too, because I feel like you would still want to have that sort of 70s grit. So it would be like almost a little bit different for him from his normal kind of movies, but it would be like not that far off that I don't think it could work, you know? Because mm-hmm. he always has – because he has a very stylish kind of style, almost like in the same way that Robert Rodriguez yep. does. That's why I was thinking of somebody who had a little bit less style and more just kind of like grit, and that's where I feel like someone like almost like an Eli Roth. I'm trying to think of somebody else that's like modern that's not like – not like the hugest director, but like one of those like, oh, that's a really good one right there that would – Chad Stileski. Uh, who's that? He directs the John. Wh- he directs the John Wick movies. Oh, that guy would be good. That yeah, he would do that really good. I, th- I think he could do that really well. You just need somebody who has um, like who who put together faster. Like that that director, I think would do it well too. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry, I keep throwing out names. I just keep getting ideas. James Mangold, who did Logan. That guy oh, would man. be a good choice. Yeah, because this 
Logan definitely had that 1970s modern western vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Even took inspiration from like True Grit, which I know is a traditional western, but still had definitely that was that was noticeable. Uh, the guy who did the 1994 remake was Roger Donaldson. And some movies that I think we all know that he did was mm. Dante's Peak, Species, uh, Cocktail, oh. Oh. Bounty. Yeah. Shit, that's, so, that, that's one of those good directs. Dante's Peak, I always say, is the best like uh, disaster movie ever made. So The Bank Job, the bank, Dante's Peak, one of the best, oh, best disaster movies yeah, ever dude, made. Yeah, okay. dude, Dante's Peak okay. is like, it's literally, like, I consider it like the perfect disaster movie. There is absolutely nothing wrong in that movie. I haven't seen it in so long, but same here. I haven't seen it so forever. Fucking good. Like every time I watch it, I always just go, "God, this movie is so perfect." Like you just can't get more perfect than that film. And then plus, the special no, we... effects are so amazing in it because it's like one of those mm-hmm. last movies to still use like models and so on. So it looks just really fucking realistic, and yeah, yeah it's so cool. That's a kind of disaster movie I might be able to get behind because I'm not really into disaster movies. I'm just tired of big CG tornadoes and CG waves. I'm fucking tired of that bullshit. Unless it's but, Twister. See, I, I, I miss Did it. you miss it? I love disaster movies. I, see, when I was growing up, that was the movie. They suck. They all suck. I hate them all. I, my, one, of my, one of my least favorite movies of all time is Day After Tomorrow. I hate that movie. Thank you. Thank you. I, that is one of my most hated movies, too. Yeah, Thank you. I hate that movie. But, but... When 2012 came out, and Day After Tomorrow came out, and Twister came out, and Dante's Peak, and Deep Impact, which is my personal favorite disaster movie, I got fucking <laughs> excited for all of them. And so I wish they would just like do one well, because even Geostorm was so bad. <laughs> like I just, I just want. Well, did you see San Andreas? Yes. Oh, I couldn't even finish it. I couldn't even finish. No. <laughs> really? I consider that one like a perfect, a perfect disaster movie too. Like I love that. I mean, one. it is in terms of what makes a, what usual disaster movies are. It is, it is really, it works. But I just couldn't get through it. Because, because what brings down a disaster movie to me is like yes. is when they have shitty characters that you don't care about. It's like they're just there just to annoy you the whole time. And San Andreas and both Dante's Peak don't have any of that. Like all the characters are good. Nobody brings down the movie, and then the. And then the special effects are cool and so on like that. Like, I, I, I most people, like, I like disaster movies a lot. So it's not that I like every single one because not all of them are perfect. But, like, when they do them right, it's like, that is always cool. It's like, and that's always a good way to show off special effects. I think nowadays why disaster movies aren't nearly as popular as they once were is because, like, in the 90s, it was almost like, oh, shit, look at this stuff we can do with our special effects. It was epic. It was epic. Yeah, it was a big, like, Twister was a humongous movie. It's not really, like, that remembered nowadays, but... In 1995, Twister was like the fucking one of the biggest movies, you know. The only thing I love Twister. The only thing I didn't like about it is it could rip a nail out of a two by four, but couldn't get that bra off Helen Hunt. <laughs> like I'm like, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say. Um... I was, I was going to say regarding disaster movies, I think one thing is I'm just not scared of big CG uh, tidal waves. I'm fucking tired of big CG tidal waves. But lava is still scary to me. I've never been in <laughs> They do love it, though, don't they? Hmm? <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's unstoppable. <laughs> so, but- so that's why something like Dante's Peak still 
sounds kind because of, I remember liking it when I was younger. I don't know if I'd like it now, but I remember liking it when I was a kid. So I could still see that being. Mm. Like, I remember, well, I remember this was Volcano. There's a part where the one guy is holding the other guy and he can't make the throw. So he has to jump in the lava, throw the guy, and you see the guy melting down. Like that uh-huh. part just haunted me as a kid. <sighs> well, that's like the, I always see like the grandma on Dante's Peak when she has to get out of the boat and she starts fucking pushing it through like the fucking boiling water. And all I remember is one time, like me and my buddy, like we went to go like into a hot tub, I think at like a hotel or something like that. And we go to step in, and my buddy's like, oh, God, it's so fucking hot. I feel like the grandma on Dante's peak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Dante's peak was pretty good. I, I always get it mixed up with Volcano. But it had Linda Hamilton and Pierce Brosnan in it, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, Dante, Dante's Peak is awesome, and I, I would love to do a retrospect on that because that's that movie has always been one of my favorites. But I know that not everybody always cares for those disaster flicks. <laughs> a lot of nostalgia attached to them, though. A lot. <laughs> well, that was what that was what the nineties was all about. Was just those like big like hey, we can show you this really cool stuff that you couldn't necessarily see. It's not like disaster movies don't exist in the seventies and eighties, but they're just a little bit more rarer then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, what was I going to say? How how we get on the? I don't know. I can't remember. I, I don't. I, I think I, oh, the guy, the guy, the guy who made the remake of Getaway did Dante's. Oh, Peak. That, that, that's, that's, that's how we got all kind of distracted yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, but, but no. Um, I could see them do another remake of this, or I could see them just leaving it as is. Regardless, I think this movie is worth revisiting because it is a. It still holds up as a good movie, and I think it still has enough of its own personality. And I mean, I would give them super credit if they just did a straight up sequel. <laughs> Yeah. If they just did a full-on sequel where you just got people to pretty much play Steve McQueen and Ali McGraw and everybody like that, that would be sick. I, that, that would be my first choice. I know that's probably not the choice you're going to get. That's like for only filmmakers and filmmakers alone. But, oh, that would be amazing. Daniel Craig as Steve, as, uh, Steve McQueen. And uh, the Ali McGraw didn't look exactly like this girl, but she reminded me of um, – uh, I get the Maras mixed up. Rooney Mara, a little bit, just a little bit in the face. Rooney, I can see Rooney Mara mm-hmm. or uh, what's her name? Um, Olivia Wilde. That might be a little. Yeah, bit. Olivia Wilde would be another one that could play her. And then uh, you know, you just if throw Katie Holmes was younger, I feel like that. Could yeah, be it too. But yeah. Katie Holmes might. She could probably still work, but she'd be a little bit older nowadays. That's the only thing. But. Oh, that's perfect. That's what you get to direct it. You get the guy who did Logan Lucky. You get Soderbergh, and oh. he already had Daniel Craig, and he had Katie Holmes. Boom! You got you got your uh, you got your sequel. Your your, your uh, getaway sequel. There well, you Logan go. Lucky even Lo- Logan Lucky even feels kind of like uh, it doesn't feel like the getaway exactly, but it feels like a nineteen seventies kind of uh, heist. Like you know, a little bit more of a comedic vibe to it, but that has that kind of like seventies action film vibe to it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it was weird too because I just watched it. And it felt like it was in an alternate universe because you can't pin down what time frame they're in. Like it's, certain times, you feel like they're in the sixties, seventies, and eighties, and then other times mm-hmm. you're like, oh, it's a modern movie because it's a brand new Mustang. And it's it was a weird film. So yeah. <laughs> it's one of those movies where I think it takes place in modern times. Just there's a lot of old stuff in it. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I know. Real quick about Logan Lucky, it was really weird for me watching it because I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, where they uh-huh. where the movie set and all this stuff. And my uh, wife, when we started dating, she worked for Dylan Hart Jr. She worked at the Junior 
uh, motorsports, I think. <laughs> so it was weird because I met a lot of the drivers. So it was weird watching it. Not only are they Charlotte Motor Speedway, but I kept seeing like Brad Keselowski and all these drivers I had met in the past. And I was like, this is weird. Like it was, they were like right around my hometown. So that Days <laughs> of Thunder, when I watch them, are surreal. I'm like, oh God, get the two NASCAR movies where I'm from. Jeez. Good, <laughs> <laughs> like, dude. I like Days of Thunder. That's a great Tom Cruise flick. The the <laughs> barn is literally right beside where I grew up. The barn, the, the, yeah. Really? I, when uh, if I was at my parents' house and to drive to uh, my wife's old house, I would have to pass the barn every single time to get over there. You know, the old Days of Thunder barn. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. Well, that's cool. But uh, but yeah, well, that's probably a good place to wrap this one up. Good old Boy, time. Do we have a good old time of the getaway. One of those movies that when you watch. You just kind of go like, God damn, that, that's, that's how a movie is made. There you go. It's just like perfect. And that's probably a movie that nobody else is really going to talk about anyways on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> just one of those kind of hidden gems. Because I, I don't know if you've noticed this, Wes, but you ever notice about all the, all the podcasts that talk about movies that very few people go 70s and back? Yeah, I actually regret that about mine a little bit because – on my list, you've seen it before. I mean, it has the uh-huh. 70s on it. So I have like, a, I think, 100 movies from the 70s. But it's hard to get people. To, I think the only one I've done so far is Jaws and uh, Clockwork Orange, I think, was actually the 60s. But I'll let it pass. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've, people don't want to do the 70s movies much. And those are like my favorite ones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, been... Clockwork Orange is, I think, it's 74 or 76. I don't know. It's, it's, it's definitely one of the oldest ones on the list for sure. Yeah, but like I noticed that because me, I noticed, noticed that myself. I'll scroll through the list of everybody's podcasts, and I go, God, nobody ever talks about anything. If, if they talk about a '70s movie, it's either Godfather, Star Wars, mm-hmm. you know, Jaws, the big ones. But nobody goes for any of like the the odd like. I just noticed nobody goes that far back. Shit, me and Dunnigan, we we did a '60s one. And I was like, God, I think we're like the only people that's talked about a mm-hmm. '60s movie on a podcast. It was it was where eagles dare, and it's so weird because it's one of those things where. We're probably one of the only podcasts to do an audio com not audio commentary, but a uh, retrospect on Where Eagles There and do a mocking audio commentary on Pokemon the first movie. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that is a wide spectrum, a yeah. very eclectic spectrum. There, <laughs> we we cover grounds, but like, yeah, with the old man orange, I think it essentially fits when you do an old Clint Eastwood movie. But, but other than that, though, yeah, talking about the getaway. That's awesome. If you've never seen this movie, it is totally one mm-hmm. to go out and check out because it is awesome. Watch it. Especially if you love that kind of modern western. You love that kind of grit. And if you're really into kind of that Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, Martin Scorsese, it's it's in that same kind of category. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, good stuff to be had there. But other than that, though, make sure to check out oldmanorange.com for more comics, podcasts, videos, and more. And Wes, you want to give a shout-out to wherever people can reach you at and join in your fun? Yeah, join in my fun. It's uh, via VHS at via VHS on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. You can find my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all the fun places, Pornhub, uh, you know, pretty much everywhere. It's, uh, it's a really good time when we talk retro movies, 70s, 80s, 90s. Anything that you played in a VCR is what I talk about. So, yeah, check out via VHS. Awesome. And thanks for having me on, by the way. Oh, we're glad to have you. Oh, no problem, Wes. We're finally glad we you know, got around yeah. to doing it. You know how that always kind of goes. Is the second that like something doesn't work, the next thing you know, it's almost like, okay, we'll get to it. And then, you know, weeks pass, and that's just what happens. It takes diligence. It, it really takes does. It takes diligence. But, yeah. We'll have to get you on it's like once you get one. it going, you realize how easy it is. But, yeah, yeah, you'll have to come back on, and we can do more movies because 
it's always fun. Having three people always kind of changes that dynamic up a bit, so that's always cool. I agree. But till then, I'm Spencer Scott Holmes. And I'm Ryan Dunnigan. And special guest... Wesley Younger. Awesome. Well, we'll see you next time. Bye, folks. Thanks again for listening to the Old Man Orange podcast. Be sure to check out oldmanorange.com for more podcasts, comics, animations, videos, and a whole lot more. You can easily support the show by buying something from one of our Amazon links on the website or in the show's description itself. doesn't cost you a penny, but every single thing you buy from there just by using that link to take you to Amazon helps us out a bit. You can also really help the show out, though, by spreading the word the good old-fashioned way and rate and review us on all the sites that you find this podcast. Anything from iTunes to Podbean to Newgrounds, YouTube, you name it, any little bit helps. Give a sub and share it to your friends, family, any jamoke you see out on the street, you let them know about Old Man Orange Podcast. And be sure to check out the Old Man Orange comic book, Pizza Boys, on both Amazon and Comixology. Till then... We'll see you some other time.